the second part of verse 12 here. I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. Jesus declares that following him brings spiritual life. So thankful to have Jesus to follow. I mean, we're in big trouble without Jesus. Sin and darkness, that brings death and bondage. Jesus, light, brings life. You see that separation between light and darkness. We've been looking at Genesis on Wednesday night, and God started out separating the light from the darkness. And you see it all throughout Scripture. You see, you see God being the light. You see Jesus being the light and the light offering life. This idea of, of following Jesus is of following Jesus as Lord, as a genuine disciple, believing who He is and surrendering to His authority and following Him as Lord. That, that's a big deal. It's not just this idea that, hey, maybe there's a Jesus somewhere. It's this idea of, Jesus, I believe you are the light. I believe you are the life. I believe you're the only way for life. And forgiveness is found in you alone. And I'm su surrendering myself, my will to you as my Lord in humility and repentance. Following Christ is not burdensome. In the sense of, oh man, Christ is my Lord and I have to follow him today. I talk to people and their response sometimes is, I can't have anyone be my authority. I can't have anyone be my Lord. I'm not willing to admit that. I'm not willing for this. I realize that, you know, I have some problems that I might need someone to lead me and I might need a light in my life, but I'm not willing to surrender. I want to keep in the middle of this hurricane and keep destroying my you know, making bad choices. And that's ultimately what they're saying when they're rejecting Christ, rejecting him as Lord. It is not burdensome to follow Christ. There is true life, there is true freedom, and there is true joy. Amen. And I would say that's the only place there's freedom is in Christ. With him as your Lord, there is freedom in that. Yes. It's so much better to follow the light than to stumble in the bondage of darkness. Jeremiah references this idea of, of light and, and darkness. Jeremiah 13, 16. Give glory to the Lord your God before he caused darkness and before your feet stumble upon the dark mountains. And while you look for light, he turn it into the shadow of death and make it gross darkness. This idea of following Christ, of following the light. There is freedom there. There is life there. Surrender to him. Surrender to his will. Surrender to what he has for you. Verse 13. So Jesus makes this claim. Within the claim, he's claiming to be God, claiming to be the Messiah. Verse 13, here's how the Pharisees respond, kind of expected response. The Pharisees therefore said unto him, Thou bearest record of thyself, thy record is not true. You see what they do here? Jesus, you're the only one backing up your story. You're the only one claiming you're the light. Where's your witnesses? You see what they're doing? They're throwing, they're making this a legal 
a legal matter here, saying that Jesus has no witnesses, so anything he says, they can just throw it out. They don't have to believe it because there's no witnesses to verify that. They missed the message of Jesus being light, and they jumped right into rejection and reminded again of, of the blind walking in darkness. The blind walking into the ditch and leading everybody with them, following darkness when the light is standing right in front of them. And you can see what they're doing here. They're, they're looking at the Old Testament law, and they're, they're looking at the logistics of that where you had to have two witnesses. You know, at the mouth of two witnesses shall something be established. So they're bringing this technicality in when Jesus is God and he's absolute truth and he's speaking truth. And their response is, hey, Jesus, you're not following the law here. You need some more witnesses to, so we can believe what you say. So basically anything you say, Jesus, we're not going to believe because you don't have any witnesses saying it with you. They throw out what Jesus says. They could be mocking Jesus from his words back in, in chapter 5, verse 31. Jesus says, if I bear witness of myself... My witness is not true. So they could have been remembering what Jesus says, which I would imagine they had like a ledger of everything Jesus said, just in case it would help him out in the future so they could get him in trouble. So it's like they're using his words. Hey, remember Jesus when you said, if I bear testimony of myself, witness of myself, it's not true. Remember when he said that? Well, you're doing it. You're bearing witness of yourself here so we don't have to believe it. It's not true. It's interesting because Jesus had many witnesses to testify of his claims. He had John the Baptist who spoke of him, his forerunner. How many lives had Jesus affected, had Jesus changed, who would step forward and say, no, he is the light, he is the life. I can testify of that. I mean, he had the apostles, the disciples, as witnesses for his working. The scriptures, Jesus carefully followed the scriptures. He had the scriptures where he could have looked back and said, see, I'm the one the scripture said was coming. Look at the scriptures. I'm telling the truth here. Look, look back at history. You can see that I am telling the truth here. He also has his father to testify on his behalf, which God the Father testifying that what you're saying is true. You don't need anything else than that. Amen. And we'll talk about that in a minute here. Jesus had many people who could testify, many witnesses who could agree with what he was saying is true. But the Pharisees, we know from their track record, they have no desire to find witnesses or truth. They just hate Jesus. And they want him out of there. They hate and they reject. Well, look how Jesus responds to them kind of dismissing what he says. Jesus answered and said unto them, Though I bear record of myself, yet my record is true. For I know whence I came and whither I go. But if you cannot tell whence I come and whither, but you cannot tell whence I come and whither I go. So Jesus comes out and says uh, the testimony of one person can be true. What I say can be true and actually is true because I'm God and I don't lie. But Jesus says somebody can talk and it be true without witnesses, even if there's no one to back them up. And we, we know that. That's not a new thought to us. Um, except for maybe fishermen. This, I don't know why I thought of this illustration. <laughs> right? I, I hear guys telling me stories about fishing. And uh, I, Doug, I believe your stories. I do. <laughs> <laughs> what about Uncle Kenny? I don't know. 
<laughs> Just kidding, Uncle Kenny. You're a great fisherman. So with the exception of, of fishermen, you can, you can say stuff and it be true. I can say something that's true whether I have any witnesses or not. So Jesus makes this claim. But for a testimony to stand up in the court of law, there had to be more than one witness. So just generally speaking, you can say something and it be true, but for that to stand up in the court of law, legally you would need more witnesses to back it up. We know that anything that Jesus ever said was truth. He is God. He is true. Uh, Romans 3, 4 jumped to my mind that God be true, but every man a liar. If you can count on anyone to ever be true, it's God. And he is always true. Always, always truth. Even with that being said, so even with the fact that Jesus is God and he spoke truth, anything he said was truth, he is going to give these hateful leaders some evidences that what he says is in fact true. So the second part of verse, verse 14, For I know whence I came and whither I go, but you cannot tell whence I come and whither I go. So he supports his own claim by pointing to his divine origin and his divine destiny. So he's going to support who he is and what he's saying by where he came from and where he is going. John 16, 28, Jesus is completely aware of where he came from, where he's going, what his purpose is, who is leading him. John 16, 28, I came forth from the Father and am come into the world. Again, I leave the world and go to the Father. So where did Jesus come from? He came from heaven, from the Father, came to this earth, working on God's redemptive plan, completely obedient to God while he was on the earth, always in unison, always functioning together with God, exactly how God wanted him to, and then he was going to go and return back to heaven. So Jesus knew where he came from. He was completely aware. These hateful leaders were not, nor did they really care. They may have thought they knew where Jesus was from, but they didn't. Remember the arguments that, that they would have, or they would try to say Jesus is from Galilee, or Jesus is from here, and, and they didn't even, they could have looked back at the Old Testament and say Jesus is going to be born in, in Bethany, or in Beth, yeah, Bethlehem. They could have saw that, and they could have looked back and saw, hey, Jesus was actually born there. But instead, they argue and they say, we know where Jesus came from, we know his dad, we, we know these different things. He can't be who he claims to be. When Jesus fulfilled exactly what God for him, had him to do in the way Scripture said it, exactly the way God had planned it, he completely kept God's word. And he fulfilled everything that the Scripture said he would be. As God from heaven... Jesus was qualified to testify of himself. So he could testify as God from heaven. He could truthfully testify. Then you get to verse 15. Ye judge after the flesh, I judge no man. So to his haters here, the, the, these hateful men were, were sinful men in a fallen world. Their judgment of him was limited, it was superficial, and it was wrong. So in them trying to judge who Jesus was and what he said in their sinful state, in their sinful struggles, in their sinful reasoning, what they thought he was, who they thought he was, was wrong. What they thought they knew was wrong. They were filled with pride. They thought they had it figured out. But they were absolutely wrong about Jesus. 
I wish they would have listened to Jesus in chapter 7, verse 24. Judge not according to the appearance, but judge righteous judgment. A righteous examination of Jesus shows that he is indeed the light of the world. Look at scriptures. Look at the witnesses. Look at the testimonies. The second part of verse 15 is interesting. Um, Jesus says, you judge after the flesh. I judge no man. Uh, maybe he's talking about not judging yet. Maybe, maybe he's talking about not according to the flesh because Jesus always has righteous judgment. But we know that one day Jesus will judge. God has given him that authority. The Father has given him the authority to judge. So Jesus will one day judge. But at this time, according to the flesh, Jesus is not judging here. And Jesus' judgment is always perfect and righteous. Verse 16. And yet if I judge, my judgment is true. For I am not alone, but I and the Father that sent me. So you see how Jesus does this here? He says, yes, I say this. Yes, it's true. What I speak is true. But then he goes on to say here, I do have someone to bear witness with me. I share divine nature with the Father as evidence that what I say is credible. Jesus is one with the Father in judgment. He is indeed equal with God. Chapter 5, verses 17 and 18. But Jesus answered them, My Father worketh hitherto, and I work. Therefore the Jews sought the more to kill him, because he not only had broken the Sabbath, but said also that God was his Father, making himself equal with God. Jesus is God. Jesus can say that he is equal with the Father. Go to John 10, verse 30. I and my Father are one. Jesus speaking it can't be any clearer than that, that Jesus and the Father are one. Jesus is God. The Father is bearing witness with him that what he says is true. And anything Jesus says can be absolutely believed with 100% confidence. Verse 17 of John 8. It is also written in your law that the testimony of two men is true. So Jesus reminds them of their law. Reminds them what their law says. Hey, remember the law that you guys put so much stock in, the one you're trying to call me out here? Remember that law that by two men it, it can be established? Verse 18, I am one that beareth witness of myself, and the Father that sent me beareth witness of me. So I've got another great witness here, Pharisees. Here are such wise, prideful men that know everything and have it all figured out and don't believe who I am. I have a witness Another witness besides myself. The Father, the one that sent me. In perfect agreement, the Father and the Son bear witness to the truth and to the claims of Jesus Christ. Chapter 8, verse 29. And he that sent me is with me. The Father hath not left me alone, for I do always those things that pleased him. Chapter 5, verse 31 and 32, and 37, and 38. All over the place. We see Jesus declaring that He's in agreement with the Father. We see the Father working with Jesus. We see the Father testifying to the fact that Jesus is truth. Verse 
with this evidence to these Pharisees, or to anybody for that matter, the right response would have been to fall on their faces in repentance and awe. I feel like we're saying that on a weekly basis. Recognizing who God is, the response is awe. And it's repentance. It's, it's wonder. It is, it is glorifying Him for who He is. That is the right response. But look what they do. I mean, what would you guess they would do? Turn to mockery, turn to questioning, turn to doubt, turn to hate. We know their track record here. Verse 19, Then said they unto him, Where is thy father? Okay, Jesus, you say the father testifies with you. Where is he? Where is your father, Jesus? A couple things could have been going on here. What order do I want to say him in? Um, they could have been mocking Jesus for his earthly father, his Mary's husband Joseph, for the fact that he is dead, for the fact that he's not there. Also, they're giving evidence that they don't believe God of heaven to be his father. But they're calling out, Jesus, where is your father? We haven't met your father. We don't know your father. Where, you know, Joseph's dead. How's Joseph going to testify? How's Joseph going to bear witness with you? If that's what they're alluding to. But we see this, this rejection. And, and I believe that they're rejecting God here, that they're rejecting God as Jesus' father. And they're calling out Joseph, maybe some illegitimacy there. I don't know what exactly they're doing, except it's not right. Whatever their judgment is here, it's according to the flesh. Jesus made that clear. But we, we have them questioning, where is your father? And they acted like they didn't know what Jesus was saying and claiming to be one with his heavenly father. And it's so interesting to me because they prided themselves on their knowledge of God, on their knowledge of the law, on the knowledge of all these these different books that they had written to add to the law and their religiousness and their spirituality and their self-righteousness. They prided themselves on all these things where they should have known God. It's like they knew facts about God that they wanted to pick and choose from, but they did not know God. Amen. Had they known the Father, they would have known the Son. Had they known the Son, they would have known the Father. But they're standing here in spiritual ignorance rejecting the light that is right in front of them. Amen. And you see, it, you see it plain as day here, and they say, where, where is your father? I'm sure they weren't genuinely or kindly seeking, oh, Jesus, where is your dad? We'll talk to him. And we'll, I, that's not their motive here. We know better than that. The second part of verse 18 Nineteen. That's where we're at, huh? Um, second, the, the way that they responded, then said they unto him, Where is thy father? Jesus answered, Ye neither know me nor my father. If ye had known me, ye should have known my father also. The way that they responded was evidence that they didn't know the father. John 14 Verses 6 through 9. 
Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. If ye had known me, ye should have known my Father also, and from henceforth ye know him, and have seen him. Philip said unto him, Lord, show us the Father, and it sufficeth us. Jesus saith unto him, Have I been so long time with you, and yet hast thou not known me, Philip? He that hath seen me hath seen the Father, and how sayest thou then, Show us the Father? Believest thou not that I am in the Father, and the Father in me? The words that I speak unto you I speak not of myself, but the Father that dwelleth in me, he doeth the works. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father in me, or else believe in me for the very works' sake. So we see Jesus, different context going on there, but we see Jesus declaring to be one with the Father. And Jesus calls these religious leaders out as, you don't know me, you don't know my Father, you don't know my Father, you don't know me. And then we, we get down to verse 21, we'll jump over 20, we already looked at that. Then Jesus, or then said Jesus again unto them, I go my way and ye shall seek me and shall die in your sins. Whither I go, ye cannot come. Verse 22, then said the Jews, will he kill himself because he saith, whither I go, ye cannot come. So we have Jesus uttering this, this warning, uttering this, this condemnation for those that reject him. Uh, we see the same warning basically in chapter 7, uh, verses 33 and 34. We have this idea of, of he's going to go away, the, the death, the resurrection, the, the ascension to the Father. And then he says, you're going to die in your sins. And dying in their sins, they will not be with him in the Father's presence in heaven. And it's, it's such a sad fact here that, that we see this rejection of Christ. We see this rejecting, this ignoring of the truth. That's right in front of them. We see these, these blind people leading blind people, trusting in themselves, trusting in their religion, trusting in their self-righteousness, which will get them nowhere but tripping in the dark. It's just such a sad thought, such a sad idea of those rejecting Christ will suffer the consequences for their sin. We'll have this, this separation, this eternal separation from God. Whither I go, ye cannot come. By rejecting the light, they continue in the darkness. Light is life, darkness is death. Jesus is life, Jesus is light. Sin, darkness is death. These people are wasting their lives. They were wasting their lives following a system that leaves them in the darkness. And I know I've talked about this before. Such a sad thought to see people so dedicated to something. It's basically dedicated to self, though. Dedicated to pride but they will spend their whole lives following a system, following rules, following rituals, following these man-made ideas or something God administered to point us to the fact that we are sinners. They'll look to that for their righteousness. When that's just exposing the problem, we need Jesus for the solution. Amen. But we see Jesus, I mean, not Jesus, we see, sorry. We see people so dedicated, so religious, so passionate about 
something. But if it is not Christ, it's a problem. It's darkness. Jesus is the solution for sin. Jesus is light. Jesus is life. Don't trust in anything other than Jesus. I don't care if you went to church for a hundred years. Don't trust in that for your righteousness. Trust in Jesus. I I don't care if you've done so many good things. Well, God's going to know me. God's going to let me, and I've done all this. Don't trust in that. Trust in Jesus. Yes, with Jesus as your light, Jesus as your life, you following him, there is going to be good things you do along the way in following him, but those good things are not what's getting you to God. Jesus Christ is what makes us right before the Father. Trust in Jesus. I'm so thankful that he is the light, that he has given life. I am saddened to see the examples of those who trust in everything else but him. But I'm thankful for the reminder that it's Jesus. Life is in Jesus. Follow him. Trust in him. Surrender to him as the Lord of your life. That is where life is. And in all of that, what's our response? It's praising him. Glorifying him. He's the only reason we have any hope or life. It's not because we're so good and we've done so much. It is him. It is Jesus. And he deserves honor and glory and praise. Let's pray together. Dear Father, I thank you so much for this time together. I just pray that you would work in our hearts. Please just help us to... recognize you in your greatness, in your holiness, in your righteousness. I pray that we will respond to you in the proper way, that we will follow your leading, that we'll be obedient to your spirit. Please work in our hearts. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.